This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining me for our daily Bible study. Today I'll be reading Acts chapter 21 from the World English Bible. And I'm going to warn you up front, I'll probably mispronounce a few of these names. If you're very familiar with all the ancient cities of the Roman Empire, um, don't let that distract you. I, I use a printed version here and it doesn't have the pronunciation guides that you have in a lot of Bibles. So sometimes when I'm reading through these, I'll say a a name, and after I've read it, I'll say, ah, oh, that doesn't sound right, but I just keep cruising, so I'm going to fake it till I make it. The content I share from you, though, will come from the scripture, so if you can overlook any mispronounced names, uh, let's just go ahead and jump right in. When we had departed from them and had set sail, we came with the straight course to cause, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara. Having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went abroad and set sail. When we had come into sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left hand, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was there to unload her cargo. Having found disciples, we stayed there seven days. These said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. When those days were over, we departed and went on our journey. They all, with wives and children, brought us on our way until we were out of the city. Kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. So we see this has happened before. In fact, Paul had said this has happened in each city uh, along his journey. Paul was warned of the trouble that awaited him in Jerusalem. And the disciples said to Paul, it says through the Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now some some think that God was instructing him not to go, and, and Paul persisted anyway. Um, I think it's more likely that what this is saying is that it was it, it was God's will for him to go, but that the Lord confirmed several times to him that it would be costly. So Paul counted the cost and then he chose to go. So when we're told that the disciples told him not to go, that was their conclusion. Uh, they They told him this based on what the Spirit had shown them concerning his fate if he went, so the Spirit showed these godly men that Paul was going to suffer, and so they ca- they came and said you don 't need to go um, but Paul agreed with their message, but he knew that he did in fact need to go verse seven when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus. We greeted the brothers and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. We entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. As we stayed there some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us and taking Paul's belt, he bound his own feet and hands and said, The Holy Spirit says, So the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard these things, both we and the people of that place begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The Lord's will be done. Once again, Paul receives a warning that he's going to be imprisoned. And the disciples, based on the prophetic message they received from God, conclude that he should stay. And Paul, Paul again, believes the message of the prophet, but he disagrees with the conclusion of those that hear the word. Yes, he's going to be bound, but he knows that he can be faithful and endure even if he must die. And so when they could not persuade Paul, they simply said, 
Let the Lord's will be done. And what, what are they talking about? Let the Lord's will be done through this prophesied suffering and imprisonment. And so they acknowledged the warning they came from God, they had came from God, but they didn't know God's will for Paul. Um, and so they had concluded, stop, don't go. And, and Paul said, no, this is the will of God. And they said, well, then let his will be done even in this. And so this was like a final warning to Paul. Um, now, before we move on, I want to just stop and make a few notes concerning prophecies. First, prophecy was needed for, for Paul individually. He, he needed to know, obviously, the Lord kept repeating it. Uh, and it allowed Paul to count the cost before he arrived there and to see if he would have the strength and the stamina. If he was prepared to do this, this was he was going to suffer greatly. Was he willing to do this? So this was not a general truth like we find in the scriptures, uh, which is, is God's word for the world, or um, as we can hear preached in so many sermons, um, there are times when God will have a, a specific word for a person or a congregation. And so this word was Paul's word. It was given to Paul for that hour. And there is no scripture that specifies that prophecy has ceased. I know some churches teach that, and certainly I'm not saying this to throw stones at them, but I would just tell you there there isn't a specific scripture that clearly states that God no longer speaks through men uh, prophetically. Some have reached this conclusion based on their experiences or their interpretation of a few passages, but it just simply isn't stated anywhere. And so some people, they believe that we no longer need prophecy because the canon of the scripture is completed now. And, and at this time, the Bible was still a work in progress. And so they reason, well, now that God's completed the canon, uh, that he's revealed everything that we need in his word. Now, certainly all that we need to be saved and to know true doctrine and to, to distinguish true doctrine from false, his saving gospel, all of that is recorded in the word. Absolutely. But what about situations like Paul faced here? Why would God need to give the great apostle a specific word to prepare him, but somehow just someone like me, who I wouldn't dare to compare myself to apostle, wouldn't need a specific word today if I was going to go through a similar trial. And I'm thankful I've never had to do that, but there are Christians around the world who face persecution. Why Why would Paul need this and that first generation? And we're all these years removed, 2,000 years later, we wouldn't need the same assurances from God. Um, so I think we see that prophecy can still be very needful. Uh, the Lord prophesied in the Old Testament. He prophesied in the New Testament. And I believe he still speaks through people today. Um, the second point I want to make is God is able to make his word very plain. Paul received a warning repeatedly in city after city. And in fact, he made it so plain at the end where you it was an illustrated sermon where he even got to see what it would be like to be bound. Um, uh, people are skeptical of prophecy today, frankly, because there are so many um, proclaimed prophets that are charlatans or frauds and that, that put on a show of the supernatural 
for money. They're more P-R-O-F-I-T profits. Or they um, the the notoriety and acclaim that comes with it. it, it so they, they seek to make everything spectacular. Um, you'll see some of these mainstream prophets who always prophesy blessing but never prophesy struggle. And uh, city after city, meeting after meeting, they talk about the new season you're going to go through. Well, if you're always going through new seasons, sometimes those seasons would turn to dry seasons as well, right? But you never hear that. It's always, they're, they're, they're hype men. and Or there's others who speak so cryptically or vaguely that nobody can hold them to their words. Um, and so the prophecy isn't can't be judged and it's not actually useful. Um, finally, there's many people who misuse or abuse prophecy or a word from God. Um, and what I mean by this is that they make hasty decisions. So, so sometimes it's we see these false prophets and it makes people doubt that there is such a thing as real prophecy. Others, we see not, they see not just the prophets or false prophecies, but they see people who claim to believe in prophecies and they don't handle what they think is a word from God in a biblical manner. Um, and so people make hasty decisions because they think God told them to do something. Right? Uh, it's, it's very hard to know what's my will and what's God's will sometimes if we just go by on a fleeting, by a fleeting impression. And so you better be sure you know that God told you to do something before you do something drastic. It's a dangerous thing to say God said and put words in his mouth if God didn't in fact say. And so God expects us to respond in faith to his word, certainly the scripture, but any word that God gives, uh, if it's from God, we're supposed to believe it and obey it. And so for for him to have that expectation, he's going to make it very plain that this is his will. A personal word um, or prophecy is going to have a purpose. It's going to be something that you can clearly believe, receive, and obey. God's going to make it plain. And by make it plain, not just what's expected, but God will make it plain even if he has to send confirmation multiple times through multiple sources. He's going to make it plain what he wants you to do, and he's going to make it plain that it's from God if it truly is a word of prophecy. He he sends his word to accomplish a purpose. And so in this, when we later read Paul's full instructions on the gifts of the Spirit, he states that after the prophets speak to let another judge. So just because someone says, God said doesn't mean that you have to abandon all all reason and all personal control of your life and submit to the word that was spoken. Let the prophet speak and then let another judge. If someone says God said, that doesn't mean that God actually said it. And so we've got warnings not to fall for false prophecy. And so here are some keys that'll keep you from from being entrapped by false prophecy. Number one, know the word of God. God won't violate his word. You won't be asked to do something that violates the word of God. Also, um, look at the fruit of the minister's life. Uh, If someone isn't bearing good fruit, um, then that's not who you're going to go to to receive a word from God. Pray. 
um, God can give you assurance and direction. Um, we see this here with Paul's life. He had true prophets come, give him a true word from God. But Paul had to find how to apply that in his life. This is particularly true for ministry. There are a lot of people who think they're called of God and uh, someone else tells them that they've been called of God to do a particular work. Be sure that if you're God called that it's actually God that's calling you. Um, now, this doesn't mean don't listen to other people at all. Certainly listen to others. If you receive, you feel like the Lord has given you a prophetic word, or if someone wants to try to speak into your life, God can confirm that word through others. Again, let God make it plain. Wait till He makes it plain. Wait till you've received confirmation. Allow godly men, your pastor, spiritual leaders to have influence in your life and to help you discern whether a prophecy is actually truly prophetic. And then finally, if you feel great confirmation and assurance that um, you did receive a prophetic word, be careful that you respond appropriately. We see in this story where a warning from God wasn't necessarily a prohibition from God. Paul already had a clear direction in his life and knew what the will of the Lord was. And he knew that this would result in change. And so when he received this this word, it just confirmed what he knew. And that didn't make him turn around. But instead, he continued to, to march forward so that he could face these things and finish his course. And so just kind of a, a quick summary uh, of all those things that I said is found in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. First, it says, don't quench the spirit. Um, th this is not simply a practical endeavor, a work of the flesh. This is a work of the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Allow the Spirit to speak to us, and He does it through prophecy. Don't completely reject prophecy. Um, but then He says, test all things and hold firmly that which is good. And so if a prophecy comes, if a word from the Spirit comes, test it. And then if it's good, hold on to it. If it's not... And good doesn't necessarily mean good news, but if it truly is a, a good word from God, then hold to that. If it's not, if it's something that's just the work of the flesh or of a man or if someone is sincere but they're sincerely wrong, then don't hold on to that. Receive a word, judge the word. If it's from God, then seek to follow the word. Verse number 15. After these days, we took up our baggage and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us, bringing one... Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we would stay. When we had gone to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. The day following, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he reported one by one the things which God had worked among the Gentiles through his ministry. They, when they heard it, glorified God. They said to him, You see, brothers, how many thousands that are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. They have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and not to walk after the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and purify yourself with them and pay their expenses for them that they may shave their heads. Then all will know that there is no truth in the things that they have been informed about you, but that you yourselves also walk keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written our decision that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves 
from food offered to idols, from blood, from strangled things, and from sexual immorality. So upon arriving in Jerusalem, um, Paul was received by the elders and the leaders of the church, and revival had not just spread through the Gentile world, but also was great in Jerusalem. And so there were many thousands of new Jewish believers. And of course, all of their life, they had strictly followed the law of Moses. And so they still were keeping the customs of the Jewish people and all of the old covenant restrictions. And so Paul, of course, was known for his ministry among the Gentiles and the devout Jews consider Gentiles in their way of life unclean. And so the the leaders of the church, using godly wisdom, said for the sake of these new Jewish believers, Paul, Paul needed to go through the rituals of being ceremonially clean before entering the temple, or he would offend the Jews and, and not just... Um, the the Jews that were still under the old covenant, but even the new uh, Jewish believers in Christ, and so Paul. Now Paul knows this is unnecessary. He wrote about it extensively. The elders knew that the Old Testament ceremonies wouldn't purify him. They had already given instructions to Paul and to the Gentile church. So was it hypocritical for him to do this? And the answer is no. Um, they were extending grace to their brothers. That. They didn't want their knowledge or their liberty to offend one of these new believers. And so they did what they could so that they didn't cause one of these weaker Christians to stumble. Um, Verse 26, Then Paul took them in and the next day purified himself and went with them into the temple, declaring the fulfillment of the days of purification until the offering was offered for every one of them. When the seven days was almost complete, the Jews from Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the multitude and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the temple, and they they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All the city was... I'm sorry, let me read that again. They had seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. All the city was moved, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. Immediately the doors were shut. As they were trying to kill him, news came up to the commanding officer of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. They, when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, stopped beating Paul. Then the commanding officer came near, arrested him, commanded him to be bound with two chains, and inquired who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another among the crowd. When he couldn't find out the truth because of the noise, he commanded him to be brought into the barracks. When he came to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he asked the commanding officer, May I speak to you? He said, Do you know Greek? Aren't you then the Egyptian who before these days stirred up to sedition and led out into the wilderness the 4,000 men of the assassins? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a city of no, a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, beckoned with his hand to the people. When there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, 
and this chapter ends on this cliffhanger. Um, so what we see here is that the prophecies, since they were truly from God, came to pass. Paul did nothing wrong. Paul had done everything he could not to be offensive. And yet here he is in Jerusalem, bound, and we're going to see the fulfillment of what he had been forewarned about. Um, Paul, because of the warning he received, it's not that the prophecy was without impact, because he's prepared mentally, physically, uh, spiritually. He's submitted to the will of God. He's ready for this moment. And so he stands up with boldness. He gets a chance to address his accuser, and he says, dot, dot, dot. You'll have to come back for our next episode to find out exactly what he said. But for today, let's pray. And let's pray that we could be a spirit-led church um, and that we would, in being led of the spirit, that it truly would be of the spirit and that we would be able to follow the instructions of the scripture on this matter. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would move and that you would lead us. I pray that you would build your church, that you would call men and women to do a work. I I pray that you would bless the efforts of our hands, that we could be um, ministers to those that are in need, that we could help people where they're hurting, that we could be a light in darkness. I pray your perfect will would be done in our life, Lord. We seek after your gifts, the best gifts. You know what we need and when we need it. We pray it in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join me again for another episode tomorrow.